This podcast is recorded on the ancestral lands of the Tongva people. Welcome to the Create Well podcast, where we explore the intersections of creativity, wellness, and entrepreneurship. I'm Erica Elon, painter of women and photographer of lots of other people's artwork. You can find my work on IG at, at Erica Elon. I'm Ray Saragosa, singer, songwriter, plant mom, Rolling Stone cover girl. Yes, you are. <laughs> as of this no, I'm week. Literally just on a, a website. <laughs> a little, little spot. Anyway. What's this week's episode about, Erica? This week's episode, we're going to be talking about imposter syndrome with the Atlantic Records recording artist, Milk. Woohoo! <laughs> they said if I want to make it, gotta starve and stress and sell. But if I'm going to be an artist, well, I want to create well. Yeah, you got to create well. Ooh, <laughs> do we have any imposter syndrome about doing a podcast? <gasps> I for, I actually yes. really do. Oh my gosh. This is, I told you this whole imposter syndrome thing gets really meta real quick. Oh, it does. Yeah. Because we're sitting here <laughs> we're making doing a, a podcast. podcast. Imposter Honestly, syndrome I think the, for me, some of it is just like a lot of people have podcasts right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So we're like... actually making a podcast there, Erica. There's, there's no denying, <laughs> you know, really there is no denying. Um, okay, so I'm going to read the definition of imposter syndrome for mm. everyone, who, anyone out there who does not know what it is. I also read this later with the interview Perfect. with Connie. So you yes. all will hear it numerous times. Um, imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments or talents and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud. Is this something you experience <laughs> on a regular basis or grew up experiencing or how do you, what's your relationship with imposter syndrome, yeah. Erica? It was so good listening to you and Connie um, just educate on this, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reflecting on my life and the truth is I certainly experienced anxiety mm-hmm. or fear of people yeah. or you know all these <laughs> things that are more my personality uh-huh. but honestly imposter syndrome I think as a whole wasn't something I experienced because the world was kind of built for me yeah. and my parents are wonderful and encouraged mm-hmm. me yeah. in every route my mom is um although I knew the realities mm-hmm. of what it means to be growing up as a woman in the world yeah. and um, the disparities of existing as, mm-hmm. as a woman and the misogyny that defines so much. My mom had an incredible career and just mm. led with this power and grace that yeah. um, really told me from a young age that I could do whatever. Yeah. And as a young white girl, yeah. that it, it wasn't... Um, yeah, I didn't experience wow. <laughs> that. Is the long version wow. for I really I, can't think thank of you experiencing for sharing it. that in your honesty because, you know, I've had this in, intense relationship with imposter yeah. syndrome my whole life, and I continue to have mm-hmm. a very, very close relationship with imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is always in the car with me. Sometimes Ooh. it's driving. Sometimes it's in the front seat. Sometimes it's in the trunk. Um, sometimes it's in the trunk. <laughs> Sometimes oh, on the scary, roof of though. the car, just like that's terrifying. It's like a Mothman on your roof. Oh yeah, no <laughs> oh, imposter gosh. syndrome is like this dark, this dark mm. entity that follows me around. And you know, I can I can paint a picture for everyone of like an example mm. of my experience with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, sometimes uh, I'll be con- contacted about being uh, up for an award or something. And um, oftentimes I've been up for or offered to submit for awards having to do with um, being in the Native American community yeah. and um, being an indigenous woman. Mm-hmm. And as someone who is of, you know, indigenous uh, descent, I'm Akime Atham uh, descent on my father's side, um, a part of me that means so much to me. Mm-hmm. Um my heritage uh, means so much to me. And as an adult, I am learning more about my people because as a uh, young girl, I grew up in New York City. I grew up very much 
distant from all parts of my heritage, uh, not only my indigenous heritage, but also my Japanese heritage, also um, my Mexican heritage, also my Taiwanese heritage. Um, most of my life was spent really, really trying to um, assimilate into mainstream culture and, and be um, an American girl growing up in New York City. That was my goal. It mm. wasn't as much to connect with who I really was, which is my ultimate goal of my adulthood. So anyway, um, that's the backstory. But whenever I get messages um, from people wanting to um, give me an accolade as an indigenous artist mm -hmm. or as a uh, Hispanic <laughs> artist or as an Asian American artist, um, it will send me into a spiral of imposter syndrome. Um, and one time I was in Nashville and I got one of those requests and they were so excited about it and like, oh, we want to like put you up for this award. And I didn't get out of bed for three days. I just couldn't look at myself in the mirror. I literally cried and did not get out of bed for three days. I was so in such a dark place. And I think a lot of people listening would be like, why would you go to a dark place when someone's trying to acknowledge mm something that you've done well wow. and it's imposter syndrome it's like this feeling that if i'm acknowledged um i'm going to be exposed as a fraud and it's wild and i i haven't had any episodes like that before and i know connie you know she'll talk about how she's had experiences of um these imposter syndrome spirals um, when mm. she got a lot of attention for her yeah. song that went viral quiet but anyway, imposter syndrome is like this, this ghost, this monster that just like takes over and makes you feel like you are not worthy of anything um, because you are like a fake or something. And it can be really hard. Yeah. And as, as you're saying that, thanks for sharing some of that with me and the generosity of what you and Connie will share in the, in this interview to come is really amazing and, and eye-opening <clears throat> because I think my my understanding of imposter syndrome before was a lot lighter and a lot more trivial. Mm. Um, and while I, I, I've been like having this process and I kind of mentioned it before of like, when have I experienced that feeling mm -hmm. of like, I'm getting these accolades for something I don't deserve is what you said that helps me realize the difference here because I think right now we talk about this a lot there's a huge consciousness shift mm -hmm. that's happening when it comes to race in the U.S. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. and when it comes to whiteness and white privilege mm -hmm. a lot of um, my peers my friends and family mm -hmm. and the white culture in general is having a massive unveiling mm -hmm. right now yeah and with that and I remember this from my first so a really short little story. My first, um, I took a course in college called Sankofa where okay. you are partnered with somebody of a different race and you sit on a bus with them, which is very symbolic. Mm. And you drive, we drove through the South, we drove all the way down to New Orleans, um, through Alabama, multiple mm. locations and stopped. And literally for three days we didn't sleep and you watch documentaries and you have heated discussions on the bus and you wow. like listen to the person you're next to and you Whoa. often fight and you <laughs> like <clears throat> this it's an incredible jarring and humbling experience wow and i had been in in what i considered social justice work yeah. or racial justice work mm -hmm. prior to this and I would show up to things and I would listen and I would try and learn and I would go to the marches and be involved in the Chicago movements mm -hmm. that were happening and I came <laughs> I went on this trip and my partner is such a gift and I love her Danais she she shared with me in a way that was so humbling and stripping wow. down of wow. my ego and what I thought I was doing for the world and doing wow. for people mm -hmm. and saving this and saving yeah. that, that I left and felt what I probably would have even mm. up till this morning where we're talking about said was imposter syndrome mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of this like, oh my gosh, I, I, 
Mm. And this is where it's not because it was, I can't do anything right. It's white guilt. Mm. And it's mm. not, it's not that I was being given accolades that I shouldn't, but mm. it's this like, um, well, I can't do anything right. And I obviously can't say anything now. And I did it, you know, and I got stuck there for a long time, um, which this is probably another whole episode. But it, <laughs> it's this really interesting because I'm white and because I come from so much privilege, mm. my lack of understanding of imposter syndrome and my only what I thought was maybe like this. We're all collectively having this. Like, oh, like what's our place now and we don't deserve this platform, but that's not, I don't know. Mm. It's not I, imposter it's, syndrome. It's related <laughs> though. And it's interesting because I never actually thought about imposter syndrome having anything to do with race. Like I really mm. didn't until this conversation and with the conversation with Connie. Yeah. But now that we're unpacking it, I mean, you know, in the end, like a lot of things have to do with race as we've experienced. Yeah. But um it's really, really fascinating to unpack this from like the racial lens mm. and to see, um, you know, how like racially and culturally um, these elements can play a huge part in imposter syndrome. And I'm sure, absolutely sure, Erica, you've experienced imposter syndrome. Um, I know it because I've seen it. And I know <laughs> like, you know, even if it's... Um, wanting to raise the prices of your paintings mm -hmm. i think that that could that's also a form of imposter syndrome that a lot of artists will experience yeah. it's like um no you're you're worth more and being like mm -hmm. no i'm not um not saying that that's you but like no, saying that yeah. like i'm sure you've experienced that and i'm sure mm -hmm. other artists have that's also imposter syndrome yeah. feeling like oh i can't sell my painting for ten thousand dollars because people are going to find out that i'm cheating them out like or like right, i'm robbing right. them or whatever so yeah. That is also imposter syndrome. Um, you know, there's there's so many forms of it, but I really yeah. love that we're unpacking this from a racial lens because it is a very important conversation right now. And I think that when I think about my dad mm -hmm. and um, he has suffered from imposter syndrome his whole life, I know it. Um, my dad is a, a brown dude lawyer, mm -hmm. um, also an actor. Um, but he's, he, uh, started his career in his twenties as a lawyer and, um, he has a lot of, you know, it's interesting because my therapist that I work with, and actually when I started working with him, he said, what do you, what do you want to work on with me? And one of the biggest pillars was imposter syndrome and mm. he's helping me work through it. And cause it is like this thing that I, I battle every day. And, um, he was, uh, every time we talk about it, he's like, okay, so where's the evidence that you're a fraud? Like, where's the evidence that you don't deserve what you have? And um, I usually can't come up with much evidence, but with my dad and everything he experienced, there was a lot of evidence and a lot of reason for him to feel um, the inferiority that he felt. I mean, he would be in courtrooms yeah. and they would tell him to leave because he was the only <clears throat> lawyer of color. And yeah. I mean, you know, this was in the eighties, but still. And they would tell him to leave. And um, I remember my dad, when he started getting into acting, he was auditioning for a, um, a Law & Order episode and for a lawyer. And they told him, yeah, um, you actually, you know, you're a great actor, but you're not going to work for this role because you don't look like a lawyer. And so then they actually gave him a role as the tile man. And... Um, so when I think about imposter syndrome and the things my dad has dealt with and, and feeling like being like dismissed from these rooms and feeling like, am I actually a lawyer? Like, am I actually worthy of being here? Because actually society has told him over and over again that you don't deserve to be here. Um, I think that a lot is kind of where imposter syndrome can stem. And I'm like proud of my dad and how he's been able to work through that and continue to have a good career. But, um, you know, I think that it can oftentimes be something that is very challenging for people of color because uh, society has told uh, people of color for hundreds of years that you're inferior. So now we have to kind of uh, work through that and remind ourselves that we are totally worthy of accolades. We are worthy of being at the table. We are worthy of getting awards. Um, we are worthy of being a part of our communities. Um, and that's something that uh, I'm constantly working through. But um, 
yeah this is like this is a i think an important conversation and yeah so okay mm-hmm. so we're interviewing connie yes amazing <laughs> <laughs> i'm so excited i'm gonna introduce mm-hmm. her real quick because i also just sometimes it's fun to like talk about people behind their back before you interview them <laughs> because then I can just say all the things that I didn't say to her yes. face about how like much I'm obsessed with her even though I did completely say that to her face but I can kind of gush about her even more behind her back she'll never know <laughs> <laughs> okay so Connie Lim milk oh my gosh So Connie Lim, professionally known as Milk, is a Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter. A child of immigrants from China, she initially performed as an independent artist for several years and rose to widespread attention after a video of a a performance of her song Quiet at the 2017 Women's March became popular and became embraced as an anthem for the movement. She was eventually signed to Atlantic Records and released her debut EP, This Is Not The End, in 2018. Um, Connie is a very, very inspiring singer songwriter, uh, dear friend of mine. I'm also a big fan. And so I'm excited for this interview. Me too. Come on, look me in the eye. See everything that I survived. See, my history is deep. That's what makes me me. And I'll do the same for you. Tell me about what you've been through when we've been down in the mud. Hey, Connie. How are you? I'm doing so well. How are you? I'm good. I'm so, so, so happy that you're here. And uh, usually you're not too far away, but I know now you're, where are you uh, chatting with us from? (laughs) I'm in Memphis right now. Memphis, Tennessee. And how is it in Memphis? It is, um, it is humid and, um, warm not as warm as los angeles we're definitely not hitting you know over the 110s here where um it's really rich with an energy here that is very different from los angeles i feel like Mm. this energy has a lot of um history that's just Mm. swimming in the air here um Memphis was one of the main um, slave trade ports of the United Mm. States. It's a hub of where a lot of people um, were shipped away to work on different plantations. And wow, um, it's just, I can feel it. And Mm -hmm. what's really interesting too, is that Memphis sits on this waterbed. Mm. And so the trees here are enormous. Wow giant and they're just i we drive down the streets and i'm just constantly going oh look at that tree look at that one it's just really it's really amazing um i love trees me too (laughs) i love trees (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's and it's so symbolic because there's a lot of depth here um that maybe people may not see from first glance but there's a lot of wealth of of stories Mm. and strength and beauty here. That's amazing. I love when I go, I've actually never been to Memphis before Mm. and I, I would love to come out eventually. And I love when I go to a new place and you can just feel how dense the air is with history. Mm. And Mm -hmm. you just, I feel like I'm walking through a story and I just want to know everything about, uh, about it. And the last time I really felt that was when I was in new Orleans and it was just like every inch of that city had so much history. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. And it's, uh, you can feel it. You can just feel it. And um, yeah, you can like almost every chew on step it. you take. Yeah. You could chew on it. Like every step you take is like an educational experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's amazing. And thank you so much for giving us your time to chat with me. Um, Erica and I are so, so grateful. And so today, our, um, actually, before I get into the theme of the week, I have to say, Connie, it's and tell everyone listening, it's so funny because you, it's you and Samantha Crane, actually, who are my two examples. I'm like of going from actual like hardcore fan to like actual friend. Oh, cool. <laughs> and it's so, it's so, because I saw you perform for the first time at um, Whitney Bell's event. It was like the stories oh, of. Yeah, that's how we met. Yes. Yeah. And I was just like, just, just one in the crowd, you know, just like one in the sea of the crowd. And I was just like, 
you say, you sang two songs, you sang quiet and you sang Jolene and, um, oh yeah, it was a stories of jealousy event yeah. where, and that was actually, I mean, there were so many incredible people who performed that night. Um, I think Anne Friedman wrote, uh, she spoke and actually she's my biggest podcast, uh, inspiration. So <laughs> this oh, is all wow. coming full circle, Yeah, but yeah. And you know, I was just like, my mouth was like on the ground. I was just oh so, God, so taken by your voice and your delivery and your storytelling ability. And so mm. even in such a short amount of time, like you really were only on stage for 10 minutes and I felt like I was on this journey with you. Wow. And, yeah. That's such a compliment. That means a lot. Ugh, Storyte- it was spectacular. Oh, thank you. Storytelling yeah. is such a sacred art. So that means a lot. Yeah. When someone says that I, I, I maybe affected them through that. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it also was just very inspiring to see another Asian American woman on stage just killing it because, you know, as uh, an Asian American woman, uh, you know, we, especially in music and pop music and folk Americana music, uh, for me, I just, I don't see it often. And when you see yourself reflected on stage, it is so powerful and we'll get into that a bit today too. But anyway, today our theme is imposter syndrome. And for anyone listening who does not know what imposter syndrome is, (laughs) the definition is imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their accomplishments or talents and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a quote fraud. Mm. So fascinating. And so Connie, my first question for you is throughout your career, uh, what has your relationship with imposter syndrome been? Oh, the good old IP. Um, <laughs> oh, IP. <laughs> no, it's not IP. IS. There we go. Oh my God. <laughs> I like, wait, when am I saying IP? The good IPS. old IS. <laughs> yeah. Um, I experienced a huge surge of imposter syndrome when my song Quiet went viral and I mm. ended up signing with Atlantic Records mm. and then started performing on the world and performed with Yoko Ono open for Michelle Obama and oh. like, like, you know, sitting in the room with Oprah singing for her. And, and then it just, and I mm. had to face a lot of my nervousness and <clears throat> my partner and I talk about this a lot is that, 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 um, giving the power away and assuming someone else's, um, knows more than I do or is better than I am or I'm lesser than because of different circumstances or different levels of experience or, Mm. you know, or it can go even shallow, shallower things like a number of followers on Instagram. I remember Mm. when I was younger, Mm. oh my gosh, like that was a thing and of, of almost hierarchically measuring Mm. people's worth through their followings or their ability to amass numbers and streaming Mm. numbers and all that. That still happens a lot in the music industry um, Mm -hmm. where artists are valued based off of their Spotify streams. Mm -hmm. I don't think there's a conversation I have with a music industry executive that doesn't talk about, you know, numbers, streaming numbers, streaming numbers. Yeah. So I think, I think that, Imposter syndrome also can be fueled by um, this idea that I've had to work uh, three times as hard as everyone else as a woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, I was told that when I was younger, uh, uh, lovingly from my father, because you know he's an immigrant from mm. Hong Kong and he mm. really wanted me to be able to survive in this world. And I love that he wasn't like, you know, just go marry someone and and depend on that person. Of course, that's a valid route if someone wants to go that route. But I love Mm -hmm. that my father didn't limit my options. And he really wanted me to be able to work for my seat at the table. He Mm -hmm. did make it very clear that I would have to work much harder than Mm -hmm. everyone else because the likelihood of me being able to beat out someone who is of the mainstream heritage mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. is is small. And so um, I think when yeah. I was standing in some of these rooms, I was just so 
trained to feel mm. like I needed to have done 70 times the amount of work than mm. everyone else. I was like, why am I standing here? I didn't even do that much. I was like, mm. I, I didn't like cure cancer. Why am I standing in this room and feeling validated? You know? Wow. Um, so it even happened like with when when news articles started saying quiet was the unofficial anthem for the women's march. I was like, mm -hmm. why am I getting article attention? Like I'm not mm -hmm. changing policy. I'm not, you know, mm -hmm. I'm not um, going out there and understanding how to battle some of these uh, wars. I don't I'm mm -hmm. not a war strategist or a peace strategist. Mm -hmm. And then this activist told me. There are a couple activists that have become my mentors. Um, and Marianne Manilov said to mm. me, um, she said that movements require um, art to open up the heart. And, um, and, uh, and then art relies on activists to carry on that message to continue mm. doing the work. And so she's like, your place is valid. Like your work mm. is to open people's hearts so that they'll actually do the work and the activists will be there to catch the people mm. whose hearts have been opened. So mm. that taught me a lot. Um, and it's a humility thing too. Like I think maybe mm. imposter syndrome also comes from a sense of ego. Like, oh, mm. I need to take all of this on. I need to be this. Right. And so I've really been working on deconstructing more and more of my ego um, um, because it keeps me from enjoying my life, you know? Um, absolutely. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really, um, it's really wonderful to hear you articulate this because every single thing you've said um, I've felt mm. as well. Yeah. And um, I also grew up uh, with a father who had the exact same uh, message to me. He said, you want all these things that you dream about, great, but you're going to have to work so much harder than everyone else. You're a woman and you're mm -hmm. a person of color. And um, so if you want to make us proud, if you want these things to happen, you cannot rest at any minute. And that, and that has, mm -hmm. I'm grateful because I have um, great work ethic as you do, but also it's like a lot to, uh, it's a lot of pressure. And right. that can uh, translate into imposter syndrome. And um, it also is hard because um, we do we do feel like we're, you know, I, I was reading, um, uh, I'm not sure if you've read Shonda Rhimes' book, The Year of Yes. Mm, no, I have um, not. It's an incredible book. And she talks about being the first of different and mm. this feeling that she felt like she could not mess up because mm -hmm. she was the first um, she was the first black woman to take over an entire night of television on a network. And she constantly felt that pressure and that feeling and that imposter syndrome of not even wanting to go to these award shows or not wanting to um, be guests on television mm. shows because Ugh. she, you know, and it was yeah. like, oh my gosh, but Shonda Rhimes, how could you feel that way? And right. so I know it's something that uh, many women of color and beyond feel Yes, and the more we talk about thing. it, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so my next question for you was: Can I actually jump yeah. in? I want to jump in. Yeah, yeah please. Like you said something really um, so relatable it was that Chandra Rhymes was like, "I cannot mess up," right? And yeah, cannot mess up is something that is inherent in in, in many of us, right? Uh, uh, this fear of being wrong, this fear of causing harm, this yeah. fear of just not being the A plus student. And so I yep. think also that is really embedded within the, the a Asian culture, mm -hmm. the traditional Asian culture. Uh, that's my personal experience. And I always, me too. I, yeah, I want to <laughs> preface all, all the time. Like, uh, you know, you and my, your experience and my experience are, are, uh, uh, you know, just a couple of examples. And right. there are plenty of other people who maybe didn't have this experience, but, there was so much cultural pressure on me to not mess up. And so mm -hmm. that stuff gets triggered now, right? Like we're yeah. looking at a big social revolution right now with racial justice. And there are a lot of people online who are charged with emotions and mm -hmm. uh, quick to quick to kind of point fingers or or shame others. And, and then there's also a community of people who are trying to be like, hey, like let's make a – comfortable place for people to feel like they can say something wrong, but we just yeah. kindly correct each other. And 
I found that yeah. with my social media community, it's been really kind. Like I've posted mm. stuff that people have been like, hey, you want, might want to look into this. And mm. and that's been a good thing to for me to remember is that people will kindly correct me. Um, the How do you feel when that happens? When I get corrected as much as I appreciate it and I'm so glad that I am or people are saying or people oppose what I say, I feel like I go back to being like the six-year-old who's being scolded <laughs> by my mom for not getting like an A plus on the test. Yeah, And it, I don't know. So I'm curious, how, how do you feel when that happens? Because me being such a hyper like, maybe type a always Mm. trying to make mom and dad proud um you know i have my mom's from japan and and culturally it is very much about you always got good grades you always performed perfectly you always did this and that i if i feel like even on social media on instagram i'm not performing perfectly i feel like i've failed and i get really like oh my gosh like i'm like a six-year-old again so i'm curious how do you feel when that happens yeah oh wow you said so much that is very relatable i think that (laughs) So I'll say a couple things. One is um, the way that I react when people correct me. Sometimes I'll feel shame. I'll be like, Mm -hmm. oh, man, I really should have known that. Like, why didn't I know? I'm so so ashamed. Like, And then I pause. I'm like, why do I feel ashamed? Like, are we supposed to learn? Like, this is great. And then I I learned this thing recently through um, this couples therapy program Mm. called Amago. And they, it's basically like imaging each other, like where you kind of reflect back to your partner, exactly what your partner says. So they feel really Uh. seen and heard. It's a really cool program. Um, but one of the things that I learned from my therapist is that ten it's it's like a ten slash ninety thing. When my partner mm. and I get in a fight, ten percent of it is the actual fight, and ninety percent mm. of it is like my childhood traumas getting yes. brought up. And <gasps> and so Whoa. I think wow. when when people post on social media, we can be like, okay, ten ninety. Ten of this is Whoa. like actual die. Like ninety is like our own stuff happening. You know? Oh I've- my gosh, I needed to hear that today, Connie. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's it's been a 1090. really yeah, it's a 1090 thing, and and I think that ultimately a lot of us have not been told that we are enough. We are just mm. enough. Like when I look at a child, like my my sister just had a baby, and Aww. she's almost one years old now, and I look at her little elbows and her like little thigh rolls, I'm like, she's just perfect. Like, she's so cute. I see all your posts. <laughs> I know. You should see my camera. My camera roll is a bunch of like social media statistics about like how to make the world better and like, and then my niece. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, um, I, and I recently just did a a music video and there was a six-year-old girl named Mina playing the part. And I was just looking at her little arms and like looking at her little face. I'm like, we come into this world like these works of art, no matter Mm. how we are. And we forget that. And we mm-hmm. feel like we have to be so many things. We have to be right. But it's like, mm-hmm. man, we just put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And I say that because I put a lot of pressure on myself. Um, and I'm really yeah. working on um, chilling out with that and really mm-hmm. allowing myself to f- be free. I just want to mm-hmm. be free. Like if I'm going to yeah. – like, yes, last night it was funny. I was watching Netflix. I was like binging this one show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like my partner comes in. He's like, oh, so you're enjoying the show? I'm like – are you judging me? <laughs> That's my response. Oh. He's like, I'm just asking if you're watching the show. I'm like, uh, right, right, right. We're 10, truly 10, sisters. 1090. 1090. 10, 10, I'm just going to say that out loud every time I'm triggered. That is so wild. Anytime someone <laughs> says anything to be like, oh, you seem relaxed. I'm like, what are you saying? Are you saying I'm not working hard enough? Are you saying I didn't, don't deserve where I am? Like, <laughs> it's so yeah. crazy. Wow. That's so real. Um, and so you brought this up earlier, but I'm so curious to know your relationship with the word activist, um, Mm. as an artist who I'm sure as it's happened, as it happens to me and as I'm sure happens to you being labeled as like an activist artist. Mm. And also to me, whenever I think of an activist, it's like the front lines organizers and the people who I think are doing incredible work that if I show up at the same rally and I just get up on stage and I speak and I play a song, I'm like, I don't want to be you like the same word that's using to the organizer as a word someone's using for yeah. me. And it can be a really 
it's a word. I know it's just a word, but anyway, I'm very curious to hear your relationship to the word activist and if you identify with it. It's so funny you say that because I go back and forth in moments like Mm -hmm. um, some moments I I think to myself, oh, I I really don't want to be called activist. I want Mm. I'm a social change artist because Mm. there are like you said, there are people on the ground doing the work Mm -hmm. day in and day out that I learn from who know like all the statistics and who um, are are just working on the front lines. And um, so I have a lot of respect for the word activist. And then there are Mm -hmm. moments where maybe I am off guard and people introduce me as like an artist slash activist. And Mm. um, so I'm allowing myself the complexity of um, the fluidity because Mm. there are moments in my life where I do feel like I'm doing activist work. Mm. Um, uh, Okay. So lately I've been feeling uh, my, my space of being able to be an activist is channeling the resources and the platform I have uh, to to help amplify causes that need to be um, amplified. Mm. And so for me, actively channeling the budget of my, like right. say if the record label gives me a budget to make a music video or a budget to record a song, mm. I am, I can, I, I feel good in saying I'm being active in channeling mm. those resources to people who may, might usually be undersourced. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that feels like a form of activism to me. Mm. Um, yeah, but I, I, I feel more comfortable with the title social change artist, artist. Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I feel like, like, you know, how I was saying earlier, Marianne Manilov, my Mm -hmm. mentor was encouraging me to view myself as, as someone who helps to prime the people to become more willing Mm. to do work with activists. I love that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's really, and it's wild to me to, because when I, on the outside looking in, like to milk, like Connie, like I would absolutely call you an activist as I was I would absolutely call you a social change artist as I would call you so many things and just amazing and incredible and incredibly impactful (laughs) (laughs) and incredibly impactful and um I get the same um a lot of times when in write-ups people will refer to me as an activist and I often feel the imposter syndrome of whether or not I am enough of an activist to claim that Mm. And I wish I could be like, yeah, how could I be an activist when like all of these women that I will list, I think are actually doing the work, but maybe, you know, we're all doing different work and we're Mm -hmm. all using our strengths to do the collective work, you know? Yeah. 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 And maybe where our language is still evolving, you know, maybe we'll find ways like we can be like, oh, I'm a conscious artist or, you know, I'm like an artist that cares about more than just my own profit. I think that's Yeah, what, yeah. I, I feel like that's what it's become. Media's like, oh, you're an artist that doesn't just care about your own image and your own profit. Like, you're an activist. Yeah, yeah, just- yeah. It's, it's a lot of its language. Yeah so, yeah, so maybe we'll find a better thing. Or maybe this is part of the imposter syndrome. We're like, oh, well, I, maybe we're I'm being not more an just- activist. <laughs> We're like currently in the imposter syndrome vortex together right now. <laughs> and actually this interview was all just like an experiment to see how it could go. That's super meta, by the so way. So meta, everyone. Yeah. It says we both are aware of IS and also currently experiencing it every day of our careers. This is exciting, everyone. You're seeing it in real time. Absolutely, because the imposter syndrome goes goes further than just as an artist, but also as an activist, also as a woman of color. So, you know, we've we've talked about imposter syndrome as artists. We've talked about it as activists. Do you ever feel imposter syndrome as an Asian American? Yes. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Um <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in a pretty whitewashed community, um, and I think um, most of the media I consumed was Eurocentric, and same. Um, yeah, I think a lot of my my ideas of what success and a meaningful life were shaped by 
um, the current dominant system that some people mm-hmm. call the patriarchal capitalist society. And I, mm-hmm. I call it that sometimes too. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, my partner calls it empire. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, yeah, I grew up worshiping empire and, mm-hmm. and modeling my life and chasing that. Like, I think it's really interesting. Like, for example, currently, I'm so glad that I can see this in different eyes, but like, and I think a lot of people are starting to see this and question the idea of billionaires. Like, why do we worship these people? Um, and why are there so many TV shows geared to humanizing these people mm-hmm. um, who amass so much wealth um, to the point where it seems a, a bit illogical? Like, mm-hmm. I, I feel like we're like, oh, wow, you're so successful. It's so cool. You have like right. billions of dollars. And it's like, really, is that cool though? Is, is that, or is that a symptom right. of a society that is is um, growing on an, a slightly poisonous um, tenant? It's not mm-hmm. like, and you might have more insight into this or not, like, but I, you know, I feel that um, more nature bound communities mm. are are listening and copying nature because nature doesn't mm. like store and like in hoard like mm. once once there's that type of I, I just haven't seen any hoarding in nature i only mm. see it with humans to this mm-hmm. extent mm-hmm. and how do we like how do we approve of uh companies um that are amassing billions of dollars right now during a pandemic, increasing mm-hmm. their profits. How That's are they wild. not offering to pay back to society right now? Like it's wild to me. Right. Yeah. And like how are prices of PPE increasing during a time of pandemic? Like when, <laughs> when a company goes in and enters their new prices, like there, there, I, I hope one day that our culture will be to a point where we'll be like, is, does that feel uh, morally right to us like mm-hmm. um cuz that just feels like man we're just so we worship this this empire so mm-hmm. much that during a pandemic we still raise prices for PPE like it's, it's so weird. wild it feels like we're living within a business rather than living yeah. within a country or a yeah. land yeah and and so i grew up with that and mm-hmm. so you know i i think that's a little off off the trail because you asked me like do I feel imposter syndrome being Asian American Mm -hmm. and I guess it's related because I feel like I've spent a lot of my life kind of walking and chasing the um the empire and Mm -hmm. currently the empire is Eurocentric absolutely so I mean look I I will totally own up to it like my music video for quiet the first one um that I made with the label um the first one I did and self-produced myself that one is mm-hmm. is like you know just me and like this tank of water and I, I like break out of the water tank mm-hmm. um and then the second music video I did was a um a redo with Atlantic Records and when we casted the members of the of the music video like we had a storyline we had a cut and that was a storyline mm-hmm. with women of color so it ended mm-hmm. up my music video was I'm a Chinese artist with with actors that were all you know, maybe Caucasian or, you you know, it was, Mm -hmm. so I look, I look at that music video and I look to what I'm working on now. I'm like, okay, well there's progress because I'm Mm -hmm. trying to stretch beyond. I was looking through the feminism lens Mm -hmm. in 2017. And Mm -hmm. because I was also whitewashed and also privileged, Mm -hmm. um, uh, I just didn't even see what I didn't see. And now I'm like, Oh wow. Mm -hmm. I, I get to learn from so many great activists like yeah yeah you know mm -hmm. sorry continue oh I was just gonna say I I feel like my whole life I was catching up with like white culture and then right now I'm catching up with a lot of black history and then I I have in the in in the back of my mind is like me I must while I study all this other side of history um the black perspective Mm -hmm. I must also know who I am as a Chinese woman Mm -hmm. I must also study that and I feel like that's really common with Asian Americans is that we did a lot of um work to fit this paradigm because a lot of us chose to move here yeah um 
And so we've done a lot of erasing and I'm, and I'm not speaking for everyone, but I've, I've had a lot of conversations with, um, Asian Americans, my age. And they're like, yeah, I spent a lot of time just like leaving behind my Asian heritage and I don't even Mm. know what it is. Um, yeah. And I was watching this one IG live and, um, I think it was Brittany Campbell. She's an incredible, um, black musician and and visual artist, but she was urging an Asian American artist friend of hers to just know who she is. She was like, Mm -hmm. in order for you to help us, you got to know who you are, you know? Mm -hmm. So, well, yeah. Yeah. It feels like there's this collective shift, you know, it's with everything with the movement and with black lives matter. Um, I feel that, it's not only white folks who are unpacking a lot. Um, I feel that I'm unpacking a lot um, as Mm. well and I'm learning a lot and I'm understanding the role that um, like, you know, the empire has played in my life as Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. and understanding how Eurocentric a lot of my beauty standards were growing up Mm. and um, my expectations for myself and um, that's something that I think we're all unpacking and and acknowledging like, oh my gosh, a lot of my Asian American-ness of my childhood were things I was always trying to um, hide or, you know, the food my mom gave me. Like I was always embarrassed by it and yeah. I was really ashamed of it. And, and then looking back, I'm like, why? <laughs> it's like yeah. the best thing ever. And so... I think it's a really great conversation to be having right now because I think even just this process, it, it does bring up some shame in, in me and in other, in other folks. And to understand that, you know, just because, uh, you know, we grew up a certain way doesn't mean there's like, there's never, it's never too late to learn about your ancestors and to learn about your heritage. And this all circles back to imposter syndrome, um, become for me as well, being mixed race, you know, I'm half Asian American, also native American, Mexican on my dad's side and always feeling like I was never enough of any of them to claim them Mm. and also not white enough to be American. And so it's, um, I just, I completely empathize and I feel, everything that you that you feel Connie because I really feel that it's something that is this dark like just feeling at the bottom of all of our stomachs a a lot of us um women of color who grew up um maybe some of the only uh women of color in our communities right and I think you know you mentioned this really you know I love how you put this of the fact that you know we have privileges and we also have Mm -hmm. some you know moments of feeling like we had to hide our own culture and Kathy Park Hong who wrote Minor Feelings highly mm-hmm. recommend that book oh my goodness what's I, it called I love it Minor Feelings oh amazing um, like Kathy Park Hong and um she says um you know she's like obviously this is oversimplifying but um Asian Americans are both victims and perpetrators of racism mm-hmm. Um, and it's good to acknowledge the the privileges we have because then it's just like, all right, that's what it is. And, and then the shame shows up and then um, the guilt shows up. And then um, I think shame and guilt are really important emotions to um, notify the body and the spirit that, oh, something mm. needs to change. And then yep. I think it's good for it. Shame and guilt actually don't serve um, well as long-term emotional Mm -hmm. um states so i think we gotta accept those surrender to the guilt Mm -hmm. and the shame and say okay this belongs okay and then all right so i forgive myself um and so what do i do now and like and then i think i'm really excited as an artist how do i create inspiring loving and imaginative creative places for my fans and my followers to explore um, anti-racism work mm. where, okay, let's acknowledge the shame and the guilt and now let's let's create together. And that mm. can last for years. And that's, that's my amazing. goal as like a woman of color who has caused harm and also who has been harmed is like, mm. I want to now contribute. I want to acknowledge 
all that I don't know and mm-hmm. listen. And also I want to be part of the movement of um, inspiring people to keep doing this because like, mm-hmm. how are we going to feel in two months? I don't know. How are we going to feel mm-hmm. in a year? I don't know. But what I hope is that we can, as artists can inspire people to continue doing the good work or reminding yeah. them, you know? And you're so doing that, Connie, and you're paving the way for so many artists, including me. I refer to your work all the time when I mm. need inspiration or some kind of compass of like, well, what, what would Connie do? Oh my gosh. I <laughs> refer to you too. What? You're, yeah. You're roller skating. I'm like, uh, okay. If Ray is roller skating and documenting it every day, I better get off my butt and go do something playful immediately. Oh it's always good to play. You know, it's always good to play. It, it definitely, uh, balances out all of this, uh, heaviness that we're experiencing right now. And, yeah. um, but what you're saying about like shame and, and guilt, I was actually, I had this thought about the imposter syndrome lives in that place of the shame and the guilt and the mm. best way out of that is action. You know, it's like, okay, there, this is coming, maybe like our imposter syndrome comes out when something needs to change, when some action needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was reading this book. Um, I think it was the power of now. Um, it talks about, you know, there's no re- either take action or surrender, like take action or surrender, mm, take action I or love surrender. Yes. Yeah. And cause I'm always one who gets stuck in the middle of like the stress, you know? Yeah. And the shame and the stress and it's just take action or (laughs) surrender, you know? And, um, anyway, so I was just thinking, you know, in the terms of imposter syndrome and, and with everything happening and everything going on and, and understanding that we have both benefited and been harmed by, uh, you know, by white supremacy and by, um, racism to understand Mm -hmm. that, um, our privilege exists and to understand that there is no, like, there is no like polarizing, like you are good or you are bad or, uh, everything you post is either good or bad or everything you do is good or bad. I think that's like a way out of the imposter syndrome and knowing that we're all learning at all times, you know, and that we, and that we, um, I think sometimes the labeling is what, will make us feel the imposter syndrome when understanding that we're all just these beautiful works and progresses that both privilege, um, that have privilege and maybe don't have other privileges and that, um, we are both benefiting and contributing to harm and understanding that, you know, we're all works in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The learning that you mentioned is so mm-hmm. important and part of being on your roller skates is also part of the learning of like balancing life because we fight, we do these fights for social justice because we want joy to be able to flourish and blossom. Um, And we must practice knowing how to blossom amidst chaos and fear and uncertainty. We have to know how to do that. And, you know, I'm learning a lot through reading um, Octavia Butler, um, uh, she's like this, uh, queer black, um, sci-fi author that is just so ahead of the curve. She, um, she passed away, um, but she's legendary in the, um, black sci-fi community. And a lot of activists refer to her because of her ability to imagine, Mm -hmm. um, and her ability to paint these dystopian worlds, but paint these like young female characters that persist in finding joy. I mean, yeah, ahead of her time, like the book I'm reading, um, right now, the parable of the sower is like, I I don't even know the publishing date, but it's like at least 20 years before now. Um, wow. So I'm learning and yeah, I'm learning. Bell Hooks is a great author. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yeah. And I'm sure, yeah, I could see you loving Bell Hooks. By the way, I want to say congratulations on your Rolling Stones piece for oh, your song, funny. They Say. <laughs> I love that song where you talk about how like, you know, folk music has become this thing for the elite, but so who's going to mm-hmm. sing for me? I was like, oh yeah, because I like... <laughs> I'm finding that I think I'm, I think I'm evolving in understanding that what I do is actually more folk music, but I, Mm -hmm. I I just, it's just in a different, I have folk music spirit within my Mm. music. Absolutely. You do. Um, I just use different, I just use technology in different ways of expressing it, but I think I'm going back to my roots now because I just like, Ah, 
you know i want to hear an acoustic milk record like oh my gosh that'd be so cool that'd be so cool i love it and you've been so generous with your time connie i have like two last questions yeah my my second last question was how are you playing right now what's your what's your goals in terms of play like i I got my roller skates what do you got going on Mm, okay so to help describe how i'm playing is um my boyfriend and i made up a a mantra for our relationship it's our motto (gasps) (laughs) you have a a mission statement (laughs) yeah and it might change but for now it's look inside go outside you already are and um, and for me I think I'm like I'm right now working on a song release and it has like a social change project around it and campaign around it it's a lot of work and Mm. I'm learning a lot Um, and so I'm indoors a lot on my computer on the Mm. phone a lot and like and so I have to remind myself like to go out for a walk Mm. go hike go sweat like it's really Mm. important to let the body do its thing Mm -hmm. and I think that just dancing like putting on a song and then just allowing whatever my hips want to do like mm. how circle, just like doing that for three minutes has been really nice and like, I love that yeah it makes me feel smile and like tap into my sexiness and like you know it's, yes. like, it's important to to just be full like be like a flower um so I love that and I'm painting yeah painting oh look at playing so much i love it yeah i'm trying i mean i get into into like ruts where i'll forget but i'm trying to remind myself as much as possible i love that so you're roller skating i'm roller skating and also what you were saying about um dancing and feeling sexy Mm -hmm. (gasps) yeah oh i saw that video very sexy awesome (laughs) wait which one i'm just kidding (laughs) outdoors right outside oh i was dancing Yeah, yeah 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 i was dancing on a mat Yes. And I, when did I, I think I talked about this in like our first episode, but actually ended up cutting it, but I'll talk about it now and then later again, but it's been, I feel like a reclamation for me as a dancer has also been a reclamation of me as like a sexual being. Mm. And I think that's something that all, a lot of women um, deal with. I found one of the ways I'm playing is by dancing and roller skating and feeling super sexy. Like it really has been like this whole like I feel more in my body than I ever have and that's been a a journey for me and so I'm with you on this dancing thing so with you move Uh, your hips move your arms (laughs) that's that's great there's a book called pleasure activism um oh my gosh you make me a list yeah Adrienne Marie Brown um she helped compile it I think she had a collaborator on the book but I'm reading it and there's an there's a piece um uh, by Audre Lorde in there about um, pleasure and how uh, if women don't tap into their pleasure, they mm. are robbing themselves of a power source that can help them fight current patriarchal systems and stuff. Oh it's my really- gosh, this is so cool. I'm so excited. All right, everyone watching, we're starting a book club. We're going. <laughs> listening we're going to start a book club with you let's Let's do a book club i love it i read like three books at a time like very i very slowly like i'm really bad at finishing (laughs) oh my god (laughs) a slackers book club where it's like slackers book club (laughs) i love this i love this we're gonna make our mom so proud musician book club it's like okay we're gonna read seven books and we're gonna very slowly (laughs) yeah one page at a time one page a day (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's so funny our brains work in the same way um okay i've literally like taken so much of your time connie oh i could God. talk to you for I'm forever so um given okay so, so this great. has been amazing this has been not only a very informative uh interview for all of our listeners but also a really healing conversation for me mm. and i do feel this way every time i talk to you because um, I do feel alone oftentimes in the music industry as a woman of color. Um, and I know there's a lot of us out there, but um, there still aren't enough. And we, I want to continue to inspire others to join us and to understand that it's possible and to see that, you know, 
Connie Milk like is is doing it and I'm doing it. And so I hope we've inspired some folks because you inspire me all the time, Connie. So Oh, you too. It's mutual. Yay, yay, yay. So happy. Yeah. And I can't wait to see you in person soon. But anyway, so the last question that we ask, mm-hmm. I, I meant not I meant to forewarn you about this question and not blindside you, but I, I believe like in you. But <laughs> blindside you. The last question we ask everyone is what does it mean to you to create well? Oh, to create well is to um is to surrender and to act. Um mm-hmm. to surrender to the process and to remember that it's not about me. Mm-hmm. Um to create well is to remember that art is a service industry. Wow. Um, and we're here to here to make people feel the things they need to feel to get through their days more. So yeah, really extracting that like empire ego that mm. I have within me and making sure that I keep that in check when I make mm. art. Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Connie. Thanks everyone for listening. And now for the Create Well Challenge of the Week. This week, the Create Well Challenge is to verbally process with a trusted loved one an area where you are feeling imposter syndrome. The first step is admitting it. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week. If you're interested in supporting us, join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash createwell. Our Patreon followers will have exclusive access to monthly live Q&As, extra photo content, and giveaways. Thank you to our first patron executive producer, Susan Anderson Nelson. This is Gold by Milk. Come on, look me in the eye. See everything that I survived. See my history is deep. That's what makes me me. And I'll do the same for you. Tell me about what you've been through When we've been down in the mud We know better than to judge Don't mistake my confidence For arrogance Don't mistake my self-respect For disrespect Self-respect for disrespect